Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 99%. My name is Jesse Vondracek. I'm a coach at Top Step Training, and I have Marilyn with me. Hey, everybody. Happy to be here. You can find everything with me at mcc.coach. And we have a very special guest. But before we get to that, um, I want to ask Marilyn kind of what's going on. I know she's in Tucson. I know uh, looking at the forecast, it looks like it might be warm there. I'm not sure. Right. You were super envious all winter and now we've traded shoes. I'm like, ah, I'm super envious of you. It is really hot here. It always is in the summer, right? But it's been um it's been a bit much. It's been <laughs> it's been it's been warm. And I think everyone in Tucson, you know, you'll see uh, actually I'll be posting this week a little bit on like uh the cumulative effects of heat and how to deal with that with training and heat stress. It's not so much you think about heat and you think just about one day and the thing about being in a place like Tucson is the cumulative heat and the cumulative early mornings and how that kind of wears you down as an athlete. You got to change your training just a little bit. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. I, I feel like it's pretty hard to get really fit when it's this hot and work really hard. It's just, you know, you're just melting out there and your recovery is really low. So, so yeah, you're in a good place, Jesse, stay in Switzerland where you can get fit for races. Cause you wouldn't be able to do much here right now. That's for sure. Um, well, I, I know you'll get through it and you'll be stronger for it. So, you know, uh, good luck with that. Um, it is not as hot here, so I'm, I'm going to enjoy that, but I am sorry. Um, and I guess news on your upcoming races are, you want to let us know what's going on there? Yes. You know, super, this is where, you know, you gotta, you gotta pivot sometimes and take the good with the bad. And I uh, got super excited about Finland and it's like one of those goals that you got to say, maybe not yet. I, I talk about that a little bit and I, ex good news and bad news. I don't get to go anymore. Boo. That's the bad news. Good news is for a very long time, everyone knows I'm Canadian. I've lived in the U S for a long time. Finally get to do my citizenship and you don't get to predict with the government when that exam comes up and it came up right at the exact same time. So bummer. Yay. But bummer. So, you know, uh, the world championships will be there. Maybe I'll have to make a trip to Finland at some point in my life just to see Finland. And uh, yeah, that's that's the way it goes, right? We just sort of pivot and carry on. And I don't do triathlon just for one race. So, you know, carry on as per usual and, and keep working at it. And maybe it's a, a blessing in the heat anyways. There we go. There we go. Um, I did a little race over the weekend myself. And it was good to get back to racing after not racing for a little bit. And yeah, it was this gorgeous race in Austria. So that was super fun. Um, and the weather is good here. So kind of back to training and yeah, hoping to, to gain a little fitness for some, some fall racing. And post more photos. So we believe that you're in these gorgeous places in Europe, dude, we want to see it. Okay. <laughs> I, I tell you what, as soon as we get done with this, I will do a little photo dump from my Austria trip over the weekend. So yeah. I will make that happen. I promise you can keep your eye out for it. Um, but with us today is um, is Aaron Green, and yeah. there is a lot to say about you in your intro. But I would love it if you could kind of just give us a, kind of a summation of who you are and what you do. And yeah, we're excited to have you. I know we both refer athletes to you, so we're excited to hear your opinions on what we're going to talk about today. 
Oh, thank you. And yes, I will second the vote for an Austrian photo dump, please. <laughs> I will be watching that and you better believe I'll be texting you if it doesn't appear. And I'm so happy to be here with you both. I, You both hold a special place in my heart when it comes to triathlon memories. And um, I'm a former professional triathlete. I am a registered sports dietitian. And just a little you know, background on how I got into this um, amazing world of sports nutrition and athletic performance. I went to school for sports science. And when I took my first sports nutrition class, I was like, well, hold the phone. This is really interesting how nutrition plays such an important role in sports performance. And, you know, I want to get into this area of study. And so I finished out my degree in sports science. I went on for my master's in sports dietetics and, um, it just kind of led me down this road of athletics. And as I, you know, got later into my adult years, I got my pro card when I was 30. So a little bit of a late bloomer in that sense, when you look at, you know, the pro field, um, now where they're starting so young, but I, I really value that experience. I learned so much about myself, both, you know, mentally, physically. Um, and also I think it's, I like to say I got my PhD in triathlon because <laughs> I raced as a pro for seven years. I put everything I have learned in my college education into basically life study, um, through that process. And that's how I met both of you. And I'm so grateful, um, for the relationships I've built through the sport above everything else. So so happy to be here to talk with you. And then just like kind of day to day, how do you, how do you help athletes right now? Just so athletes know. Yeah. So I own my own private practice, Aaron Green Racing and Nutrition, and I'm here in Boise, Idaho. I see athletes over Zoom or, um, I mean, all over the world. And basically I, I offer a range of services from one-on-one -on -one consultation to, um, you know, different packages. I do nutrition coaching. I have a podcast called middle-ish, so you can get more information there. That is more a podcast on, um, moderation in all things. And so it's kind of funny that you would, you know, hear a former professional triathlete talking about moderation, but, um, I think it's an important message to get out there. And my website is eringreenracing.com. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so last week or last podcast, Marilyn and I did a kind of a deep dive into actual racing nutrition. And, you know, we were able to, to touch on that pretty well, but we wanted to talk to you a little bit more about some nutrition questions that are more on, on the outskirts of that and kind of surrounding race day. Yeah, let's do it. And I haven't listened awesome. to that episode. So I'm just going to preface this with if, if we're in disagreement on something, I'm happy to hear like, you know, a different thought or a different idea that maybe was presented in, in the previous episode. So let's talk about that. If there's any, if there's any mixed messages. Awesome. Good, good. Well, hopefully there will be, because, you know, we love a little bit of conflict. Marilyn and I doesn't, don't always get that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I guess let's start out with kind of more of the basics, like, if you're kind of co coaching someone through the week into a race day before the race, that, that whole build up process. And let's just, for the sake of uh, having a specific race, let's say we're going to do like a 70.3 to an Ironman and it's going to be fairly warm as it is kind of summer in the U S. Um, so yeah, I guess, I don't know if that shapes the process at all, but, but how, 
what would you talk to an athlete about for that kind of like, again, like week before a couple of days leading in, and then maybe specifically a few things about race day? Yeah. So the, the first thing I really like to establish with athletes is if, if we have worked together on a fueling plan, hopefully that athlete will have come to me maybe a month before the race or more. I've had athletes come to me like two weeks before their race, right before they taper and say, Hey, can you help me with a fueling plan? And I'm like, no, I I actually can't really help you because you need to be practicing your fueling plan during training before race day. So you can also practice this lead up that I'm going to talk about before race day. One of the challenging things about 70.3 and Ironman though, is that you never really get the chance to test it out until race day. So for real, you only have maybe a handful of times per year that you get to test this out and actually see if it works. So I want to know where the race is going to be held. Is this person flying internationally? Are they traveling across the country? Are they traveling to a different time zone? Because that then could affect their lead up into the race. I will encourage people to try and adjust their sleep and eating and wake schedule closer to the time zone where they will be racing. If that's a possibility that also helps with regularity bowel movements on race morning. We all know it's super important to have that predictability. Um, so that's something we can work on too, is like, how do we try and adjust that schedule that lead into the race? Um, if possible. And it really just comes down to like, can you move your bedtime an hour earlier or whatever, you know, so you're getting up an hour earlier, you're eating breakfast an hour earlier. So you're kind of giving your body that adjustment period. So you don't just land in another country and, you know, or across the United States, even, you know, that three hour times a difference from coast to coast could make a difference. Um, I'll also ask athletes what's available to you when you get to your race destination? Are you staying in an Airbnb? Do you have kitchen facilities? Do you have refrigeration? Have you sleuthed out any, are there markets nearby or like a grocery store, a convenience store nearby? How much food might you have to travel with to make sure you have snacks or your pre-risk breakfast? I mean, a lot of athletes are going to be eating at three or 4 a.m., what's open at that time? Nothing. So you need to be prepared for that race morning. So we basically just talk through this whole like logistical timeline so that I have a clear picture of what that athlete is going to need. And then we'll start working kind of backwards from, you know, okay, T minus one hour before the race. And then we'll like work all the way backwards. What is your travel schedule? If you have to travel, um, what are the considerations there? Generally speaking, I mean, you can start appreciating how individualized this approach gets for people that work with me. Generally speaking, I will really start paying attention to nutrition adjustments about three days out from race day. And the only main adjustments I'll make is, hey, let's just really um, stick to familiar, easy to digest foods here. Let's stay away from too much eating out, exploration, too much spice, too much, you know, anything fatty, fried, stuff like that, high fiber. Those kinds of foods tend to require a lot more resources to digest and they can be irritable to the gut. And so we just want to give your, keep your stomach nice and happy, keep your body well nourished, but we also want to stick with foods that are familiar to you. And this is different for everybody. I mean, I have 
I have worked with athletes of lots of different cultural backgrounds and nationalities, and they have different approaches. Like all of them have different foods that feel good to their bodies. And so get to know what works well for you. But for most people, this is like, you know, pretty simple refined carbohydrates, like white rice, um, white bread or sourdough bread, um, pasta, potatoes, that kind of thing. Um, for fruit, you could do like canned fruit or fruit juices would be okay. Um, those tend to be lower than in fiber, you know, maybe steer clear of things like berries that tend to be higher fiber. Um, when it comes to vegetables, you could do like vegetable juices, like V8, you could do some cooked, like smaller portions of cooked vegetables, but let's just be careful with like salads and roughage and the raw vegetables, especially if you're traveling to a country where you have to be concerned about just food safety and how those things are, um, are washed or handled. And then just protein that's easily digestible and preferably leaner protein sources, because that fat again could require a lot of digestive resources. So we want to look for like lean chicken, um, lean fish, lean beef, even, um, you know, lower fat yogurts and, and dairy foods, that kind of thing, you know, tofu. Um, if somebody is vegan or vegetarian, which I do get a lot of those athletes, they're still probably want to going to include some beans and lentils, which some of you might hear, Oh my God, that's high fiber. Like we need to watch out. But if their gut is used to it, then having a serving of beans, you know, the day before the race or, or leading up to the race is not going to impact that person's gut as much as maybe somebody who's not used to that food. So again, it's very individualized looking at what specific foods we're looking at, but generally low fiber, lower fat, you know, moderate protein, high carbohydrate that's easily digestible. There's also when uh, people are in those days leading into races, there's a lot of conversation about, you know, salt loading and hydration loading, um, even magnesium loading. Uh, there's all different types of probably things I'm not even mentioning out there. If you think of some of them, um, you know, amino acids, those types of things that people, they, they read on it, maybe they want to try it, maybe, um, you know, can you touch a little bit on which ones, well, one, which ones are actually worthwhile looking into and trying, which ones are maybe, you know, a problem, you would just flat out want to stay away from it. And, and if, if it is something worth trying, is there a specific protocol or, you know, a general idea people can, you know, give that a shot and, and say like, this will help my race or not help my race. Yeah. So just starting with, um, you know, the, the first ones you mentioned, the fluid and, and sodium, you know, that's probably the, as far as anything that you're quote loading before the race. I mean, the other thing that you could be loading would be carbohydrates and, um, you know, speaking from a number standpoint with carbohydrates, that's, a traditional carbohydrate loading protocol would be, um, 10 grams per kilogram of body weight for like two or three days leading up to the race. And you do not have to go through like a, the old school carbohydrate loading was a depletion phase. And then you load up the carbs, but now we're just seeing that, Hey, if you're not exercising and depleting your glycogen stores, your body is going to super compensate because all of a sudden it's like, yay, we have, we have so many carbs here and we're not getting depleted anymore. So it's about 10 grams per kilogram. So for a 75 kilo athlete, that's 750 grams of carbs in a day. That's a lot. When, when you really put it into food, you start looking at like, okay, the snacks need to have high carbohydrate sources. So we're looking at crackers and, um, 
you know, maybe toast with jam and maybe some concentrated carbohydrate sources like honey and, you know, different things, those little fig cookies, applesauce, um, fruit leather, like things like that. So that's one of the loading protocols that we talk about when we're looking at nutrient specifics. Okay. Fluid and sodium. So this is where, and this, the reason so many athletes get this wrong is because it's highly individualized and it's really hard to get right. (laughs) So I'm just going to, you know, put that out there that maybe the top people in the sport will have access to physiologists and all these measures and ways to gauge this and sweat tests and all these things. The average athlete just doesn't have that. And so your, your best approach is to stay well hydrated, meaning you get hydration from the foods you eat. So pay attention to, you know, the, again, fruit and veggie intake juices, that kind of stuff. Just make sure you're staying on top of fluid ingestion. If athletes are going to be in a hot climate, like you mentioned, Jesse, like it's summertime, they're going to be going to the expo or they're going to be doing some of their shakedown rides or something before the race. I want you taking sports drink with you. I don't want you just taking water. I don't want you being caught out without calories and fluid. Um, even if it's for like a 45 minute easy ride, because that could be just enough to set you behind. And then, oh, um, I had to wait for my ride. And then there was a big traffic issue. And then I didn't get back to my condo until two hours later. And I was out in the heat in my flip-flops. I mean, I've heard, I've heard that I've been there. I, I know the stories that happen. So I want people to be prepared with sports drink because it's carbohydrates, it's fluid, it's salt. Those are the three nutrients that are really going to be critical on race day. And I want you to stay on top of that and always have that available. As far as sodium loading, your body is really good about shedding sodium and fluid and keeping that tightly regulated. So I wouldn't really encourage people to, to load too much, like in the week leading up to the race, I would probably say like the day, like maybe two days, but really the day before the race is when I would say, have a little bit of like extra salt on your food. I mean, a quarter teaspoon of salt will have like around 550 milligrams of sodium in it. Like just sprinkle some extra salt on your food. You could have salty foods like pickles or, you know, um, a little bit of like deli meat or something that has some salt in it. You could, um, again, take sports drink with you. Um, when you're out and about, you can have broth or soups or, you know, things like that. You don't have to like really overdo it with the sodium because I have seen people have more problems with that than, um, you know, than just eating like a normal regular diet and then leaving the sodium for race day. What are some, Um, that's a really good point because I feel like that is an area that's a bit overdone where the, you know, the whole sodium loading, but also just sodium in general. And it's important as far as cramping and, you know, for hydration and, and all of those things. But what are some, when, when you say, oh, I see more problems with it, is there specific things that people are, that you're looking for that you can tell, hey, this is actually too much for you and it's, it is a bit of a problem? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm thinking of an example of an athlete I'm working with right now who's a bike packer and they're a very, very heavy sweater. I mean, just like, you know, they're telling me I can wring out my hair. Like I just got out of the shower. I'm so wet with sweat. But when they take a really, there's some really high sodium supplements on the market. There's some that have like a thousand milligrams in a packet. And so they're, you know, taking these really high sodium supplements and this person will end up being super bloated, puffy, have all kinds of stomach problems. And I'm like, well, how about we 
increase the overall fluid you're consuming, but like, let's kind of keep that sodium in check. So you're not overdoing the sodium. Cause what happens if you take too much sodium is then you have this huge sodium load in the gut and your body has to draw fluid in to try and, and dilute that. It's, it's basically, if anybody's taking chemistry, you know, you know, that those ions are going to be like, they're basically married to each other. So sodium and fluid want to go with each other all the time. So your body's going to draw that fluid into the gut, which theoretically, okay, great. You know, it'll, it'll equalize at some point, but that's also taking very valuable fluid away from your working muscles and your skin. That's really important for cooling the tissues and making sure that the metabolites are all, um, you know, circulated in your body properly. So there is a balancing act here. And, you know, what we hear for sodium recommendations are somewhere in this range of like, you know, I've, I've heard everything from 300 to 800, um, milligrams in an hour. And, um, something Jesse and I encountered, I think last year was that pure sodium, like when you see some recommendations, they're talking about milligrams of sodium, but when you're taking in like table salt, that's sodium chloride. And so then you have to do the math of like, well, how many milligrams does that mean? And that could be like a thousand milligrams of sodium chloride to get that, you know, whatever, um, 300 milligrams of sodium. And so there's a lot of math that can get really, you can, (laughs) you can probably imagine like how complicated this gets. And so it really does become like a little bit of a trial and error game. What's your best guess? Are you a salty sweater? Do you have like, you know, white crust on your, um, on your kit after you're done with a workout? Can you taste the salt on your lips? Do you crave salt after workouts? It's also important to recognize that higher sodium intake will create higher, um, sodium in your, in your sweat. And so it could just be like the nature of your, your overall diet could be impacting the amount of salt you lose in your sweat. And so again, highly individualized, but, um, it can be overdone, which I think is we, we see all these supplements that are like sodium, this sodium, that, and yes, you do have to really, I think most endurance athletes that are racing like a really hot Ironman or a 70.3 are going to need to supplement sodium in some way, but you just have to be smart about it. And you have to try this during practice. It does take some, um, some trial and error. Yeah, for sure. And even, um, you know, let's talk a little bit about people, people want to experiment even with magnesium loading and the BCAAs and and those types of things. And, you know, I, I think the overriding message often is that the more simple you can keep things, the better, but also humans by nature, when we're looking for that edge on performance, we're drawn to these different things available to us. So the best thing we can provide is education, right? So let's just talk about these, you know, they're, they're out there. And rather than saying, well, just keep it simple, people are going to try them anyway. So let's give them some information on it. Yeah. So the, when you said sodium loading, I was like, man, I've never heard that term before. And I actually, I don't know that there's an actual like protocol or recommendation and correct me if you've heard anything about like magnesium loading. Did I say sodium loading or magnesium loading? It's sodium. Sorry. Magnesium. Apologize. Um, when I heard magnesium loading, I was like, is that a thing? And so I kind of like poked around and I didn't find anything, um, to support the idea of loading magnesium. 
there's quite a bit of chatter around athletes need more magnesium than the average person, just because it's required in over 300 different metabolic processes and body processes, really important for muscle function. Um, it is an electrolyte it's, you know, required for proper nerve functions. There's a lot of different reasons we need enough magnesium. Um, most people are low in magnesium in their dietary intake. And so we can then assume that most athletes are as well. And I, I know a lot of athletes that supplement with magnesium. I myself supplement with magnesium. I, I have noticed a difference, um, just in my, my sleep, the way my legs, I used to kind of get, when I was training at a really high level, I would get those kind of like, not quite a cramp, but just like this restless leg kind of feeling, I felt like um, supplementing with a little bit of magnesium and really focusing on magnesium foods. So then we're looking at um, nuts and seeds. Anybody who's worked with me will notice that on my um, nutrition template that I give to clients, I'm emphasizing nuts and seeds, nuts and seeds, like added to salads, added to, you know, like granola or yogurt or whatever. So you can, you can, um, get a little bit more magnesium there. Cooked greens would be good. Um, any kind of beans and, and legumes, uh, soybean and soybean products. So soy milk or tofu, and then whole grains would be really, really good sources of magnesium. And it's funny because <laughs> when I hear like, Oh, athletes are looking for that edge. I always start with like the basics. Well, are you eating regularly and getting a varied diet? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you actually following your training protocol? Are you managing your life stresses and like staying balanced in that way? Those are the, that's the edge is if you can do those things, then that's going to help far more than like a magnesium supplement. So let's just make sure that, you know, you're taking care of the basics first, and then we can start experimenting with maybe some of these other things. What about going into a race though? Like for hot races, that's something that as I, I've seen recommended and, and, and honestly even did myself back in magnesium back, loading mm-hmm, back in the huh. day, that was something that, um, the, the old school, Mark Allen, Scott Molina, they would have these, 10 day magnesium load protocols up to 48 hours before the race so that you didn't have any GI distress during the race from taking a lot of magnesium. And I look back on that and I wonder, did it help? Did it not? I mean, there wasn't a lot of research around. It was just something they did. It's something that they passed on to me. It's something I did. I mean, I did very well in hot races. I don't know if it played a part, if it, if it didn't, I did it because I was told to, <laughs> So <I'm> just, <laughs> you know what I mean? It, yeah. It, it certainly didn't hurt. I had a lot of gas when I was traveling. That was, <laughs> you know, but um, yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? That's interesting. I have not heard of that protocol and now I'm really curious. I want to dig in and see if I can find any research on it. Um, when I think of like magnesium and heat tolerance, I'm not like, uh, I don't know. I, I have to say, like, I don't know the intricacies of magnesium metabolism and how it, you know, impacts our thermoregulatory system. And so I'd have to look into that. Um, I, I do think, so there's different types of magnesium supplements that impact the body a little differently and are more bioavailable. And keep in mind that certain types of magnesium, like magnesium citrate is a common um, supplement given before like a colonoscopy. Why? Because it cleans you out. So 
just be careful with that. And you're right. That's probably why that protocol was started so far out from the race. So then you didn't have that GI impact, um, heading into the race. Um, I think, you know, with, with magnesium loading, just thinking of how it is stored in the body. Um, I'm trying to think if there's, I don't even think there's a way the body super compensates the way it does with say carbohydrate or even with sodium, you know, when you do a load and it'll kind of hold on to it for a period of time. I'm not sure about that. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Good conversation. Would you have like a recommendation for how much would be good if athletes are looking to like take magnesium on like a nightly basis or, and then I guess how much is too much in talking about magnesium loading, you know, it's like, like an appropriate window that athletes should be looking for, for like the amount. And I guess I'm also curious about, about the timing. Like a lot of the supplements say like, it's like a nighttime thing is, um, do you agree with that? Can I take magnesium in the morning? Yeah. I mean, those are all really good questions. And if people are into number crunching, the, um, recommended intake for magnesium is 310 to 320 milligrams a day for females and 410 to 420 milligrams a day for males. Um, athletes might need, you know, twice that much, honestly. And, and we haven't seen any negative, um, outcomes from people who are supplementing 300 milligrams a day. Now, that being said, I think it's also important not to just throw supplements at things willy nilly because people, we have this assumption that the supplement industry is safe and, oh, it's magnesium. It's something I get from food. So it's okay. That is not always the case. So I really caution people about just taking a supplement because they think they need it or they're going to get an edge um, because you can have too much of these vitamins and minerals that are really good for your body. And if you're if your body doesn't shed them properly, or, or maybe it does, you know, load up and store them in a certain way, or it could interfere with the absorption of other important vitamin and minerals. Like I just, I get, that's my disclaimer to just be cautious when you proceed. And it's probably best for you to either have a sports dietitian analyze your diet and see how much magnesium you're averaging on a daily basis, or just go get tested, see what your serum magnesium is. Um, that only gives you one point in time. So it may or may not be super helpful when looking at supplementation, but I would, I would really like think about this before you engage on just taking a magnesium supplement. That being said, I think starting with like somewhere around 150 to 200 milligrams a day supplementation is um, when we look at the needs of athletes and we look at the average diet being inadequate in, um, in just the RDA of magnesium, which remember is in that three to 400 range. I'm thinking like 150 to 200 milligrams of magnesium a day is not going to cause any, it's very unlikely to cause any harm. Um, again, look at the source, um, magnesium citrate, magnesium glycinate. There's, there's several different compounds that they put with magnesium to increase the bioavailability or make it easily digestible. Um, so check the different sources, make sure you're having one that, um, has a higher bio bioavailability like the citrate or glycinate. Um, the sulfide magnesium sulfide magnesium oxide tend to be a little bit harder to digest. They are not quite as bioavailable and pay attention to what it does to your digestive system. And this is where I think the timing is important because I mean, I have always taken my magnesium supplement at night, but that's just when I've, you know, take like my vitamin D or anything else. Um, so 
I just take it at night before I go to bed because it's part of my bedtime routine. And then if it does have any kind of digestive effect where I have, you know, any of that magnesium, um, activity on my gut causing a bowel movement, I wake up in the morning, I'm ready to go. So for me, that's been a pretty good, um, time protocol. And from what I've read, that's a pretty standard, like it gives the magnesium plenty of time to digest, get into the system and then stimulate that bowel movement in the morning. Um, but you know, people can experiment with this and see what works for them too. I mean, it might fit somebody's situation better to take it in the morning because of their morning routine and the way that allows for things or whatever. Or if you forgot to take it one day, you could take it the next morning. Um, you know, experiment around and see what works for you. That's really great. The one other one that people talk a lot about around races is omitting caffeine for a period of time, even though they are a regular coffee drinker and then race morning going ahead and, and drinking their normal amount of coffee. I have always heard people say that and say, God, that sounds miserable. And why would you do that to yourself? But I am a diehard coffee addict. So I know you are. Oh my God. Right. <laughs> I mean, you can't, I don't think very many people can even drink my coffee. It's so strong and black. I have drank your coffee and yes, I can attest that. <laughs> whoa, it's yeah. nuclear. Exactly. So to me, I have never tried that because it seems like torture to me, but I do get that question a lot. And I'd be interested to hear what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. I discourage that practice. Um, mainly because the, the evidence tells us that there is, there tends to be no performance enhancement difference in those who abstain from caffeine and then take it during a race and that you are in fact more likely to encounter negative side effects of caffeine if your body is not used to seeing it. So the jitters, um, stomach dumping or stomach cramps, digestive issues, bloating. Um, some people have a really high, hard time concentrating if they take caffeine and they're not used to it. So what I encourage people to do, I mean, I acknowledge that caffeine can disrupt sleep. It can, you know, blunt appetite. It can have all of, <clears throat> excuse me, all of these negative consequences if people are engaging in it in an unhealthy way. So if someone is a coffee drinker, I'm like, have your coffee in the morning, like get to know how your body responds to drinking that caffeine. And I will say that drinking caffeine in a beverage will hit your body differently than taking it in a pill form just because of the digestion of the, um, the substance and the way it is delivered to the body, you know, versus drinking a drink. I mean, yes, you can pound a Red Bull. Yes, you can pound an entire cup of coffee, but rarely do people do that. They're usually taking it in kind of like a little more metered doses versus taking a tablet, which could have as much as you would get in like two cups of coffee, but in very little amount of time um, versus what it would take you to drink the beverage with the caffeine in it. Um, so I, I generally will discourage people from abstaining against that. And part of it is also like, you know, you want to know how your body responds to this stuff. Like why, why change something dramatically and right before your race, like that's kind of rule number one of, of anything leading into a race is like, try to avoid dramatically changing anything you put into your body or do to your body. Like, don't go like, try that freaking massage gun the evening before the race, because it's at the expo. Like 
don't abstain from caffeine and then start taking it the week before the race, you're already amped up. It could impact your sleep, even if it's in the morning. Like I just, I, I discourage that mainly because I have not seen any evidence that it's beneficial. So, you know, yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and if you're during the race, you know, the, I know yeah. the thing too, um, certainly there's a lot of athletes that while they're racing. So the, the, the protocol of before the race, I guess the, the, the mess, the, the message we're carrying is it's really not worth doing the abstain from caffeine and then, and then have your coffee in the morning. So we can, we can agree on that for sure. And, and then there is the other side of it is while racing, a lot of people, like to use caffeine, whether it be, and, and you hear the different protocols as far as that goes, little and often it's within their gels. It's in some of the sports drinks. I know there's some um, specialized sports drinks that you can actually get a, a, um, a very specific amount added to it. People even use caffeine, like you talked about caffeine tablets. Uh, some people will not have any caffeine all the way until say towards the end of the race and then have a lot of it. Some people experience GI distress. Some people don't. Uh, what are, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So the, the caffeine, the amount of caffeine that somebody, um, can tolerate is based on body weight and it's based on your exposure to, to that caffeine. So that's another thing is like regular coffee drinkers where you're, or whatever, you know, caffeine source you take, if your body has seen it pretty regularly, you're less likely to have an adverse effect because even if you're taking that second dose, as you get into, you know, the latter part of a bike in a 70.3, let's just say that for, you know, the sake of this discussion, your, your body knows what to do with, you know, 150 milligrams of caffeine or whatever it is. And so you're very unlikely to have an adverse reaction to that. Whereas if you have not been seeing that regularly for, you know, every day for the last several months, you're very likely to have some kind of a, a response. Um, caffeine does have a half half-life. And so just remembering that you're, um, you know, within like three hours to five hours, the caffeine will be completely gone from your system. And so if you do have a long race, like an Ironman and you pop a caffeinated gel at the, you know, 20 minutes before the gun, you, you better have caffeine coming into your body like all day, because if you don't, you're very likely to experience that, that dip after the caffeine wears off. And so that's something to keep in mind too. Um, there are recommendations for like how much caffeine per kilogram of body weight, um, doses anywhere from like six to nine milligrams per kilogram, um, which is like three cups of coffee. I mean, it's quite a bit, but then I've also seen like anywhere from like that 1.5 to three grams per kilogram of body weight. And so based on your body weight, you can kind of calculate that out and that's during exercise. Um, there's a point how where it's legal for professional athletes too. say what? There is a point with water where it's illegal at, um, for professional athletes. Yeah. And I don't have that in front of me. I don't know what that level is, but that's definitely some, I think it's quite high actually. Yeah, and I like, think there was a change. Wasn't there a recent change with, was it taken off the, it might've been. See. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure, um, what the actual level was, but I think it was very high. I yeah. You have to try really hard. It. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine what that would do to my gut if I had to try 
try and get that much caffeine in. Um, and you also have to recognize that like, it's a stimulant. I mean, it's a drug. And so that, you know, increase heart rate and you, I mean, there's a lot that goes, goes into taking caffeine. So you can't just, you know, think that because it's widely available and it's a legal substance that it's harmless because that is not in fact the, the truth either. And, you know, just speaking anecdotally here, N equals one, someone who has had like full cardiac workup because of irregular heart rhythms and different things, caffeine is in that conversation. And so when we hear these stories about people that are having, you know, cardiac events during endurance exercise, that's something that you should discuss with your doctor as well and make sure that, um, you are appropriately dosing it and that caffeine is not a concern for your specific health status. Yeah, that's good stuff. Good information. There's another topic that I want to touch on if you're, if you're willing to, and that is within day-to-day, but also really specifically around races with hydration, nutrition, and even during a race for females with their menstrual cycle, because I know that now I, I don't, I, this is, you know, why I love having access to someone like you. I, my advice has been that when women are having their period, that they do need they the, you know, the, um, the norm has been that I find that they do need more hydration and more sugar actually. Now I don't have the same level of education on why I just know in my experience with the number of athletes that I've coached and knowing that that is something that you need to mention and that you have to do and how much more is individual to each female, but it is maybe something that gets missed or not even talked about with between coaches and athletes and going into races. So can let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. I love this topic because I think there's a lot of research coming out on it. And the more we see, um, women in sport, you know, competing at very high levels in all sports, I think the more we're noticing that this conversation around the menstrual cycle plays a huge role and we need to learn more about it. And I'm, I'm imagining that a lot of your listeners are familiar with Stacey Sims. She is like the pioneer of research in this area with, um, female athletes, um, how our physiology is different from male athletes, the different, um, considerations and needs we have. And one of the things that we know about female physiology is that we favor fat oxidation over, um, glycogen basically glycogen breakdown. Um, and this gets amplified during different phases of the menstrual cycle. So that means our bodies prefer to break down fat and use that for energy really efficient. It's great system, but when you need carbohydrates, because carbohydrates will give you quicker energy than fat, we break down fat. It gives us lots of energy for a long time, but at a very low intensity, once you start exercising harder, you need that carbohydrate. And if your body isn't wanting, preferring to break that down because of your physiology and maybe because of the phase you are in your menstrual cycle. Yes, we do need more sugar. So you're absolutely right there. We need to be taking that exogenous carbohydrate to make up for the lack of glycogen breakdown in our body to actually use the carbohydrate we have on board. As far as the sodium and fluid, um, this, you know, again, I have anecdotal experience with this and I will say that a lot of women I've worked with and 
my personal experience, I had, I think the first year we worked together, I was day one of my period, every single Ironman I did that year. And I was like hating my life. How did this happen? Like, how did this happen? Like we need to pick a different race schedule. (laughs) (laughs) But to my recollection, it even like, you know, periods are not okay. And this gets me into, I'll talk about period tracking in a second, but you know, my, my period wasn't exactly predictable to the day. It was very regular, but it wasn't like exact enough that I could extrapolate that to my race schedule for the season. So anyway, I found that my thermoregulation, my fluid needs and my sodium needs and my carbohydrate needs needed to be adjusted and addressed um, when I was entering into um, that phase, which I mean, technically when we talk about the three phases of the menstrual cycle, we're talking about the follicular phase, the ovulatory phase, and then the luteal phase. So in that order, so follicular is like day one of bleeding. As soon as your period starts, you're heading into the follicular phase, basically where your, your body sheds the lining and prepares to, you know, basically produce a new egg. And then you have ovulatory where your egg is released from the, um, ovary down the fallopian tube and ready for, um, fertilization if that happens. And then the luteal phase is basically when your body realizes, Hey, this egg isn't getting fertilized. We need to shed that layer. And there's hormonal, um, you know, plateaus and dips and, and rises that happen throughout that phase short to make a long story short, these three different phases can impact what you need as an athlete, how your body responds to different stimulation during, you know, athletic stimulation, strength training, um, endurance, thermoregulation. We don't have, um, you know, a ton of hard evidence that says every female athlete is going to need, um, additional sodium and hydration during their luteal phase or during their follicular phase or whatever. But we have a fair amount of evidence that says, we've seen thermoregulation challenges and, um, this increased need for sodium because there's a higher sweat rate or whatever, um, during those phases. And so what I encourage people to do is track their periods and track the symptoms you experience because everybody's different. And just to go back to, um, the U S women's national team, back in, I think it was 2020 or 2019 women's world cup final. I mean, they, they, you know, destroyed their competition, had an amazing season. And there was all this buzz around, oh, it's because they adjusted their training to, you know, um, align with their menstrual cycles. Like they tried this very cutting edge approach. And I'm reading this great book called up to speed. It's by Christine. Yu. I highly recommend it. It's the groundbreaking groundbreaking science of women athletes. And in it, she actually clarifies that they didn't necessarily change their training schedule to, um, align with their menstrual cycle. What they did was they encouraged all of the athletes to track. And then they went with like the information they were gathering with the symptoms, the athletes were experiencing and the different ways they responded to training and maybe the different ways they, they either felt super motivated and, you know, had like this, um, high desire to practice or they didn't, and they needed to work a little more on skills or like something a little more restful. So learning that and how that works for each individual can actually play a really vital role in getting to know yourself. And athletes who are, you know, experiencing regular menstrual cycles have, uh, um, higher retention of muscle mass. They tend to, um, 
perform at higher levels and be able to execute higher training loads, um, at a higher level and intensity and, and handle that better. So track your period, get to know your own body and don't be afraid to eat a little more during that, like right before, and then into your period. The beauty of tracking that is, you know, myself as an example, I'll kind of look into the week before and be like, my gosh, you know, my appetite's out of control. Like I'm hungry. Like what's going on? Well, I'm heading into my period. And we also know that women during menstruation need a hundred to 300 calories more per day. So you could need that extra snack. You know, you could need that like bedtime snack or that extra little boost in the morning before your workout. So don't be afraid of that. I see women under fueling far more than I see them like really listening to their bodies and paying attention to feed me. So I really love that point that you just made, because that's something that when my female athletes say, you know, the week before their period, I'm, you know, I'm unmotivated, I'm crabby, I'm bonking during all of my workouts and that kind of, you know, I'm starting to get that kind of feedback. I will encourage them to eat a lot more carbohydrates and they're, and, and just more throughout their workout. And then they'll get a little nervous about how much they're eating and how bloated they feel, because those are some of the symptoms that come at that time as well. And I'll just keep encouraging them to, Hey, you need to continue to eat more so that you don't bonk during your workouts and feel so flat during your workouts. And the ones that are able to, to do that, they, they roll right through that phase with successful workouts, regardless of, of how they feel. So yeah, it's, it's nice to hear you say that in, yeah. with the, with the, um, experience behind it for sure. And appreciate that this is temporary. Like every, I mean, it's so funny to me. I'm, I'm going to be 42 in a couple months. And I still like, there are some times when I'm like, this menstrual cycle business is just such a pain. And like, why does this have to happen? It's been happening for like, you know, 35 years. So like, why am I so, you know, um, up in my head about like how my body changes and I'm hungry and da, da, da. If you just accept it and you know, it's coming and you roll with it, just recognize that like your training is not going to be tanked because you had a few rough days, um, eat more. I mean, for, especially those of us who are endurance sports, your body is going to thank you for just eating more, like just give it a little more fuel. Um, and just recognize that like, this is a sign. It's like your check engine light. If you're getting a regular period, this is a sign that your body is healthy and functioning on all cylinders. And it's a very good sign for performance and athletes who skip periods or have amenorrhea, which is the absence of menstrual cycles for more than three months in a row will have a harder time executing certain workouts. They tend to, um, you know, really struggle with maintaining lean body mass, their body composition will likely change. Um, of course we have the bone mineral density concerns. Um, so keeping that in mind, like let's start celebrating getting a regular period ladies. Let's do it. Sorry, Jesse. We've sort of, we took over the conversation where you're, you're like, I can't say a whole lot about this, but you're, well, so, Jesse, you, you, you're so patient and you're surrounded by women with a daughter exactly. and, a wife, so, and, a, and a wife as an athlete. So hopefully you enjoyed it anyways. No. Yeah. And like, I do coach female athletes and this is the topic of conversation that we have. So it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's good for me to be in the conversation, even if I'm just listening on in the conversation right now. I appreciate that, that you have this conversation with, you know, female athletes. I think we need to just, you know, Stacey Sims is famous for being like, let's just all say it together. Women have periods. 
like <laughs> full stop. And then she, and then she points out, she's like, don't laugh. This is on her Ted talk. She's like, don't laugh. <laughs> if we can say this with a straight face and just start talking about like females have periods, like this is something different with female physiology. And we need to, you know, recognize that there are, you know, nuanced differences in how, how we approach it. And I think it's really important to be having this conversation. So I'm glad yeah. you brought it up. Good stuff. And is, you know, nutrition is so, whether it's your day-to-day nutrition, I mean, we really focused around races, this conversation. I, I know we could, we could have you on here for hours and days talking about, you know, it's such a big, big conversation, your day-to-day nutrition, your recovery nutrition, your, you know, um, we really wanted to hone in on race week, race morning, we didn't even really dive into specific race nutrition because that's a whole nother chapter. And we touched a little bit, but I think the conversation specifically around, you know, what that race week and that race morning, and then what we can do as athletes overall, it's just, you know, there's just so much out there and it's a hard topic to even, you know, plug into Google because there's too, there's so much information. So having access to someone who was not only, a professional athlete themselves and has, you know, on the field experience and then the education in, in the classroom and the studies and the research, and then also the experience working with a number of athletes and not just endurance athletes. I mean, you worked with strength athletes and at universities and all of that. It's just, and in hospitals with recovering people recovering from illness. So just having access to someone with that deep, broad range. is just really, really special and really appreciate your time on all of this. Um, I know that, you know, people can reach out to, I refer, I love having people I really admire and respect who have this deep wealth of knowledge on my team. And, and so you're, you've always been just a staple on my team, whether I was coaching you as an athlete and then we evolved, you know, we have a great friendship as well, but evolved into one of my team members that all my athletes, I say, you know, if if we get into an area that I think you need expertise, help on nutrition, whether it be your race day nutrition or any of these areas, we bring you into the, into the team. So having you on just to touch on such just, just small pieces, right? Just small pieces is just, um, it's a, it's a real treat for sure. So thank you. Thank you for that. And, you know, I've always said that, I mean, my business is based on referrals and so getting referrals from people I respect, um, in kind and, and from other athletes and coaches is one of the best compliments I can receive. So thank you for that. Jesse, do you have any any real specific questions that, that we sort of took over the conversation on the back half here. So I, I want to, you know, acknowledge that you might have a question deep, deep. What is it? They call it the last (laughs) desire question. (laughs) Well, we've got her. Uh, no, you know, I was just happy we covered caffeine and that I don't have to cut it out because that's never worked for me either. Um, so yeah, that was, that was my little question I was going to ask and you already got it in there. So I, uh, I feel pretty good. And yeah, I'm, I'm glad that I can keep that in there all the time. That's awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much for your time, Aaron, and your expertise. Tell our, we'll put it in, Jesse's going to put in the show notes and all that as well, but tell us again where people can find you. You can find me on, um, on my website, AaronGreenRacing.com. I'm active on social media. My um, nutrition channel, I guess on Instagram and TikTok is at nutrition in a minute, all one word nutrition in a minute. Um, I'm on Facebook, not very active on there, but, 
Uh, you can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and my website. And um, yeah, happy to answer any questions anyone has. And maybe I'll come back and we can talk more about like race day nutrition. I mean, the one thing I will say is you can get just the very basic like grams per grams of carbohydrate per hour and like amount of fluid. The key is for people to test it out in training and to do the math, like actually do the math to know like how many gels per hour is this or how many chews, or if I'm using a combination of foods, like that's where I come in handy as I do all that work for people. But it's, it's not super complicated if you don't make it super complicated, like find the very basic stuff and try it out and be consistent and see what happens for you. Yeah. I love that. Always. It's always the simple stuff that is the right answer, but it's not the fancy stuff. So it's not where people tend to gravitate towards for sure. Yep. Find that in training with a co- as a coach as well. So yep. good stuff. Um, well, thank you very much for spending an hour with us. We really appreciate it. And uh, you give a lot of uh, good nuggets for our listeners. So yeah, thank you. And we'll have to get you back on. We can do another deep dive into race day nutrition, kind of um, pick your brain again. Sounds good. Thanks. Cheers, guys. All right. Bye. Bye.